Thank you, Will. Will, that's awesome. You just said what I was going to say, um, which is perfect. We're always thinking alike. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get off. Last week, we got off the page. This week, we're going to get back to the Gospel of John. And we're choosing a format that we think is a, more conducive to the fact that hardly anyone's in the room right now. And I just can't fake it. I can't pretend that there are people in the room when there aren't people in the room. So I am what I am. Um, Dan and I have both studied up this week on this text in John that we're going to look at today. And we're going to walk through the text together. In the future, I hope we can figure out ways to even make this more dialogue where maybe we can take questions and, and, and do Q&A uh, in a live format, I think that that would be cool. Uh, we can't do this as well today, but maybe in the future we could also have it so that you, if you're meeting with your family or house church, you could hit pause and then start discussing things and then hit play again and pick right up where it is. But right now you can't do that. So, all right, Dan, it's good to have you up here, man. <laughs> I'm with the best. Um, you want to read our text? Yeah, okay. So I was thinking maybe we should stand. Yeah. Just uh, call everybody where you're at at home out of bed. All the bedside um, Baptists and, uh, can get just, out of bed now. Just stretch a little bit as we uh, read from John chapter 2, the second half of chapter 2, um, and starting at verse 12. John chapter 2, verse 12. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples and stayed there for a few days. When it was almost the time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables, exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple area. Both sheep and cattle scattered the coins of money changer, overturning their tables. To those who sold the doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He didn't need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in man. Amen. Amen. This is a pretty shocking, dramatic event in the life of Jesus, and... John puts it at the beginning of his gospel, I think because not, that's, that is not when it happened, but simply it's that important 
to John and his understanding of Jesus. Um, I think we should just start with the temple. Um, the temple itself was probably the most impressive building of its day. The and this is world. in the entire world. And this includes um, Rome and all that they built with all their technology and their engineering. Uh, this, this was it. And the Romans themselves even said that. Um, I have a slide for you to just look at this uh, in all its glory. This is a great rendition of it. Uh, this is actually the second temple, uh, the first temple, Solomon's temple. Uh, it was built in the very exact same spot as the second temple, uh, but it was destroyed by the Babylonians almost 600 years before Jesus, then 500 years before Jesus, or 100 years after that. Uh, the Jews, of course, in Babylon were allowed to return, and one of the first things they did is rebuild the temple. And I love this next slide because if you look closely at the temple itself, um, you see that they could never restore it to make it look like Solomon's temple, the first temple, until Herod comes along. And that's even in our text at verse 20, um, where it says, the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Uh, they are referring to the 46 years that Herod who is considered the greatest builder of the ancient world um, and put 46 years into making that rundown building the most beautiful edifice uh, the world saw at that time. So that's the temple. And the place also of where it's built is hugely significant. Let me just take you to Genesis 22, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, Abraham and his son Isaac. And this is what it says. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. They broke wood for the burnt offering. They rose up, and they went to the place. In Hebrew, it's Ha-Machom, of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place, Ha-Machom, from afar. And they came to the place, Ha-Machom, which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood, when this whole ordeal was over, this is what Abraham says. He called the name of the place, Hamahom. He called it Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, on the mount of God, he will provide the lamb. Then you go further into the story, and Abraham's grandson, Jacob, when he has to leave home because his brother Esau wants to kill him, the text in Genesis 28, verse 11 says, And Jacob came to a certain place. But this is not just any place. It literally reads that he came to the place, to Hamahom. And he's completely oblivious to the fact that that night he lays down to sleep at the place 
where his grandpa and his dad, Isaac, had that whole ordeal. And that one day will literally be the Holy of Holies, God's living room. And he puts his head on the stone, which is another word for temple, and he dreams that night. And what does he dream of? A stairway with angels ascending and descending. And it says, standing over Jacob was the Lord, Jesus. The stairway that he had just walked down, angels ascending, descending. And when Jacob wakes up, all he can say is this, how awesome is this place? Surely, this is God's house. And then he names this place, Hamahom, Bethel, which means house of God. And that is precisely um, what that place will become because a thousand years after this, Solomon will build a temple on that very place. And that is more than a temple. That is literally in their minds, God's house. Um, it's not just a place of worship. Um, this is literally where heaven and earth intersect where God lives. Um, I mean, let me, let me just even take you inside. If you saw that, um, if you remember the first slide, the, the, the building itself is on what's called a platform. The platform is three football fields by five football fields. And then the building itself, which is, consists of two rooms. The first room is the room that um, you're hopefully looking at right now. It's called the holy place. Only the priest could enter this room. And then you see in the room a curtain. And I don't know if you notice what's on the curtain, but those are seraphim. Because what's behind the curtain is what we call the Holy of Holies. And that is the place where Jacob slept. And the Holy of Holies is literally God's living room where his raw, Shekinah, awesome presence was. And why are the seraphim on the curtain? The seraphim are on the curtain because God put seraphim to guard the garden, the Garden of Eden. And so in their mind, what's behind that curtain, behind those seraphim, is literally the garden. It's heaven. It's Eden. It's the gateway. It's the gateway. That curtain is the gateway into God, the staircase. That's what the temple meant at the time of Jesus, to the people that come there. Now, Dan, also, um, the text speaks about a certain holiday in which this takes place, Passover. Do you think that has some significance? It does. It does. Before I, I get it, I'd just like to highlight yeah. it. You did promise to get to the ascending and descending. And I don't know if anyone was catching that or paying attention. The other yeah. day, you know, when you were preaching on yeah when Jesus said, you will see the angels descending and descending. And I don't know if you're going to bring this up later or not, but 
that is a very important connection. Be, Jesus is kind of making a claim here that he was a part of that and is going to be a part of that. You're going to see that. And maybe even just just as a, in my mind, when I'm talking, thinking about temple, yeah. as you're talking about temple, that connection of the heaven and earth is just a very succinct way of referring to temple. And I think in a lot of our minds, it's really hard to understand what a temple is because we don't really go to a temple. No. We don't use the word temple very much except in my head or whatever. Um, it would be honestly like if when we came to Crossroads, only the priests could come in to this room and behind this curtain, I, this it's is nice all that we have a curtain. Okay, we, have, we, we have a curtain. curtain. Thank you, Did you set this prop up or not? <laughs> <laughs> and it would be literally, it's like if behind this curtain was God's living room. And think about this. We, the worshipers, all we could have is the parking lot <laughs> where we'd maybe do our tailgate. Right. And, that, and we'd be so happy that we could get that close. The priests could get this close. And then only the high priest on the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, could enter the holiest place and go behind the curtain. And in there God. is the stone where the ark would rest. And they've got terminology for all of that. And, and it is a really big deal. And so... But I Dan, that's why um, you're right. When, with Nathaniel, first of all, Jesus calls him a true Israelite. Every true Israelite knows that story of Jacob yeah. resting his head on that stone. And that's the beginning to telling the story of God's house and the place it will be and what it is. The angels are ascending and descending in that spot. Heaven and earth are connecting. So when Jesus says, you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, think about what he's saying about himself. I'm the connection. I'm the connection. I did read somewhere that um, in the Mishnah, there is a reference to kind of their worldview. And it goes along the lines of this, that Israel is central to earth yep. and Jerusalem is central to Israel and the temple is central to Jerusalem and the stone is the Holy of Holies is the central place of the temple and and that also just gives you a picture of why even in verse um, verse 13 Jesus went up to Jerusalem yeah why in verse 11 or 12, he's in Capernaum, which is northern. Yep. <laughs> we, we say we're going up north when we go north or up. He's going south, and he's somehow going up to Jerusalem. But the way they see it, it's the, it's the central place of the universe. And they're on their way ascending you know, to Jerusalem. And this is not a rare thing. So yeah, as you prompted to kind of get into Passover a little bit. There's a lot of um, unique kind of things about Passover that I think we can miss because we reduce it sometimes to just an Old Testament thing or whatever. And I mean, it's not even just in Leviticus 23. There are certain feasts or appointed times, if you will, 
that are attached to stories to kind of help them remember and put that in their rhythm. But there's something unique about Sabbath, I think, and Passover. Um, Sabbath, because this is something that you see in Genesis as well as just after the Passover before Sinai. But Passover specifically is before Sinai. And it's commanded, and even they even are told while they're being commanded, this is going to be a part of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's in, it permanently connected to the story of the Exodus and the final plague and, and everything that, that that would really come to be for them. And so, and let's think about what that is. This is the redemption, right? This is when God turned us into a people of slaves, into a nation that belongs to God. It can only, I think, sort of be connected to the Fourth of July. I mean, if if we go to Washington D.C. on the Fourth of July, and there's thousands and thousands, you can't even get on a bus or anything because there's just so many people trying to make it down to you know. Lincoln Memorial and all that and the mall just to to be a part of the celebration because of what we in our American context you know value from that story this is not just a country I mean it is a country it is a nation and it's slavery and it's God and he's doing the parting of the Red Sea I mean the all the this whole thing gets a central focus um, and they can't even contain it to just the one event, they're commanded to do the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which really by the time of Jesus is kind of a tacked onto this whole season of Passover. Um, and so yeah, a lot of times continues for seven you, more days. When you read, <laughs> it was the time of the Passover yeah. and, and people are always trying to figure out what days or, or whatever, you know, sometimes they lob the unleavened bread kind of in there. Um, but yeah, so the story of Passover being kind of connected to what you're saying, the redemption of this nation. Um, and Dan, think about this. What did they all bring? Every family had to bring at least something. Every family had to bring a lamb. A sacrifice. Yeah. Yes. And, and so to accommodate any of that, this city is in complete upheaval. Uh, yeah. Six weeks, a month and a half before yeah. this even happens, you can read about the preparations that are being made for the city of Jerusalem to be even able to contain how many people are going to come there. They're digging new wells. Yeah. They're building uh, new like places for people to stay. They're, they're fixing up all the roads. Thank you to Rome. We have all kinds of uh, new roads and stuff that need to be repaired. And it's they're scoring very high on the hospitality Mm-hmm. side of things and so they're trying to get their houses clean as well as get the yeah. leaven out um and this is just even social i mean the the religious side of things is is massive as you're saying they have to bring a sacrifice they have to build new ovens yeah. all over the place dig new mikvah or at least repair and get stuff ready for all the mikvah that's going to be being done so dan when you live um, there because we both live there and josephus the historian writing at this time says that a city of a couple hundred thousand swelled to potentially a million or two million. Um, When you live there, did you ever like look out on the whole city of Jerusalem and just wonder like what Passover would have been like in that first century where you have Jews 
literally from all over the then known world making their way, descending upon that city. No hotels, no places. So it was probably one huge camping out party, mm -hmm. right? All over the hills. Wasser's mm -hmm. um, graves. Uh, you can see, and yeah, <laughs> you can't caves, touch that. Find caves you go. and whatever, yep. you know? I mean, think about the disciples sleeping when Jesus yeah. is trying to pray. And yeah. is that something that they just did? Because, what, yeah. you know, they might found a place yeah. to... That's how yeah. you camp, and, and that's how you live during this time. But this is it. Yeah. This is the biggest day of their year, and they're in the most important place, something that's more important to us than Washington, D.C., our church. Right. It's all of it put together. And Jesus shows up and kind of goes crazy. So, yeah, What's your take I'm, on that? I'm, I'm suspicious about even why there's so much energy there because just one more layer to it is they're celebrating something that is not a reality for themselves at that point and i would be very frustrated if we continued to celebrate the fourth of july when we were not independent or we were not free anymore you know yeah. and just imagine you know i think we like to just think and just imagine israel is an independent state in the time of christ and sometimes there's, you know, some foreigner Roman guys around or whatever. But you're completely saturated with the Roman presence. Every day you're experiencing taxes, you're experiencing uh, power structures and certain dynamics that are going to make you feel like you are less than the Roman. Uh, temptations everywhere yeah. to, try, to try and join them. And so some of, I think, the, the hype here is... They're trying to ha hang on to something about their past and their history that is still meaningful for yeah. them. But also, I think they're also afraid that the new Babylon is upon them too. And this is just totally my opinion. But as exile is in their rearview mirror because they abandoned certain commandments and because they didn't follow as well as they ought have, I feel like some of this stuff is just amped up because they don't want to experience exile yeah. and they don't yeah. want to lose the little yeah. bit of what they have yeah which can lead to people bending the rules or flexing or trying to figure stuff out and also can lead to why jesus is getting so passionate and yeah. out there so let's um, talk about that one now. dan why 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 is jesus so upset one of the minor kind of details that I'd like to throw out at the beginning of that is where in the temple courts yeah. this took place. So as you were just saying, hundreds of thousands of people are here. Um, you're trying to get a sacrifice. And so this, this has animals, they're saying, yeah. inside of the temple courts. You put that in the courts of the Gentiles or... Yeah, maybe where? you could put that slide up. RJ, because some of you read this and you're like, wait, what, what are cattle, sheep, doves doing in a worship space? Um, it's not literally in the worship space or in the building per se. Again, this thing's built on a platform, three football fields by five football fields, and the majority of that called the outer court, it's called the Gentile court because that's the part where the Gentiles could go. And this is where the buying and selling is taking place. It's at least 12 feet below, right? Like yeah. 
eight feet to the court, court of the women, and there's another to, the, to where the men could go or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it, it probably did feel like a big Roman area. I mean, yeah. you've got colonnades surrounding the whole thing. You've got soldiers, you know, up high. Uh, you've got that royal stoa. Yep. That whole southern side yeah. is one big royal Roman looking place. Yeah. And I would I always like to imagine Jesus comes right up beneath there on the southern gate, walks up into that area and sees what's going on and um probably for practical reasons. They've got yeah. animals up there. It's on a spectrum. Yeah. It it could be like Jesus is saying in other in areas like Mark, they're kind of they're kind of being well, let's start with this. Why would there actually robbers. be animals in the buying and selling taking place in the temple for Passover? Well, it goes back to that lamb, if right? If you're bringing it from your, you know, if you're coming from Nazareth, you know, or, or somewhere, and you've got to travel all the way down to avoid certain cities, avoid certain areas, and you, it can be an arduous process to bring your sacrifice with you and so i could see some innovative you know group of people just sort of saying you know what we'll we'll make this easier for we'll you give you a, a just a, come here show up on that yeah we'll 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 have the lamb for you to buy because this way the lamb doesn't break its leg on the way down or the dog doesn't chew the ear chew the ear off the because <laughs> the lamb has to be perfect without blemish and of course the prices are going to be jerusalem prices because you're going to a city yeah just like gas, you know, nowadays fluctuates if you're in the country, if you're in the city. However, so it here's what we know. Weird. We know that the temple priests are the ones who determine if the lamb passes the test. So okay, so now just weird. think about the power they have. Yep. Um, so you can imagine what people in power might do with power. They create a racket where someone takes their lamb from Nazareth, or maybe they've even come in all the way from Rome itself, and they show up, and the priest says, your lamb isn't good enough. You have dirty. to buy our lamb. It's just got, yeah, it's, you know? it's, and all of a sudden, they have all their lambs. Literally, I, the history books tell us a lot of these lambs were raised in Bethlehem, the nearby town. Um, and you get a Bethlehem lamb, um, and they can mark the prices up, and all of a sudden, now this becomes a money-making machine. Some things never change. I mean, going to the Temple Mount nowadays, you have to dress very conservative, very modest, mm -hmm. you know? And tell me you've ever been up there and, and this hasn't happened. Where Every time. I know where you're going. <laughs> where you walk in and you've got as much yeah. on as you can and they say to you, nope, sorry, yeah. there's one person here, yeah. one person here. You have to cover up more and we have scarves and yeah. who knows yeah. dirty yeah. <laughs> scarves or whatever that you yeah. can pay yeah. 10 shekels 15 yeah. or whatever they decide to put on and you can't yeah. proceed until they're happy with you yeah. and you're kind of stuck in that yeah. power dynamic Very true. of i can't go proceed to do what i need to do until they're happy yeah. with me you know and so jesus is obviously mad about that and the injustice of what's going on you have the this humble family that comes to worship god dealing with these greedy priests that are trying to make money. But then on top of that, where they put the market, and this I think is what really makes Jesus mad because it's the text that he quotes. It's, it's, 
the Gentile court. And he quotes that passage um, from Psalm and then Isaiah 56, Psalm 69 and Isaiah 56. But the main one that he quotes is, um, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And do you know how the text continues? For all nations. For all nations. In other words, the temple wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't even just for the Israelites. It was for all nations to be a house of prayer for everyone. And they took uh, their market thing that was going on and they put it in a Gentile court so the Gentiles could not come to that house and worship God. You give them a little bit of sympathy. I mean, it's not like, I mean, there were God-fearers. There were people who were trying to, to be a part of that. But, I mean, as massive as the building was, of course, one thing leads yeah. to another. We don't have this many Gentiles who are coming up here to pray, so let's use some space yeah. here. You could start selling birds sort of over here, but then it grows, and you, you, finally you got a whole zoo, uh, you know, a bazaar, if you will, up on the Temple Mount. And even if I did want to go pray, I couldn't. Yeah. Right. Who couldn't. knows what's going on up there? And that, I think, is a point kind of worth noting is in the heart of Christ as he is trying to clean house, there's something that really, he is acting like this is an injustice. Yeah, It's not just he's hungry or, you know, grumpy, hungry or in a bad mood or something. There's an injustice happening here, kind of reading into it a little bit, but I feel like it's appropriate that they're so nearsighted on themselves that they're completely taking over the space that was meant for uh, Gentiles. And so you got to wonder, yeah, I mean, is that something that Jesus is kind of getting? Oh, for sure. So this is all part of why Jesus is mad. And it's crazy. He acts like he owns this place. Yeah. I mean, he says, this is my father's house. I mean, that's very close to saying, this is my house. How dare you treat my house? this way. And here's the thing. I can't go into your house and start overturning things. But if I go into my house or where I live and start overturning things, I have a right to do that. And that's how Jesus is acting here. That's how they respond to him. What gives you the right to do this, right? I mean, who gives you the authority to do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're thinking the same thing. So not only does Jesus get mad, they get mad. And, and, and the question is, why do they get mad? Because they will never forgive Jesus for this. They will kill Jesus for Fate this. Is sealed at this point. It's sealed right now. He just messed with what's so precious to them. So part of that disruption is this sacrificial system that they have is so near and dear to them, or they're holding it so dear. Um, who is he to, to, I mean, how he comes into this and starts running all their animals out yeah. of there. What if that was at 3 p.m.? I mean. During the sacrifice. What if it was like right places, before? When it's a full I house. Mean, who's scrambling to try and figure yes. out how yeah. to get the sacrifices to be done in time? And No one stopped him either. That tells me, were they afraid of him? Even the Romans didn't stop him. He had but, a whip. He had a, uh, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. There just isn't enough room for two temples. And that is what Jesus is claiming. He is claiming 
that this temple, it points to him. He fulfills all of it, therefore making it obsolete. He is now the one on whom the angels are going to ascend and descend. He is now the gate to God, the staircase. Yeah, it's almost like he's pausing this in a really dramatic way to kind of say, this whole thing is going to be stopped. Maybe even just wanting to start the conversation here that I'm going to put an end to whatever this whole thing is right now. And I think... We're getting ahead of our, the Gospel of John. Um, but not only is he the temple, but the temple is the place, again, where all they could get to is the parking lot. And the only reason they could get to the parking lot is because they came with a lamb. Because God is holy, and, and, and the way we approach this holy God is we need forgiveness. We need atonement. And that was the priest's job to make them presentable to this holy God and the sacrifice of the lamb was the lamb standing in their place and that blood literally the head the hands first would be placed in the lamb's head just the worshiper and the worshiping family saying we identify with this lamb and the, it was the lamb's life so that their life could be spared and and to think then later in John's gospel And John the Baptist has already previewed this when he said he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That when Jesus came to this world, he's not just the temple, but he is the Lamb to end all lambs. That when he dies as the Lamb, that curtain, that curtain literally is torn from top, (laughs) which means it didn't come from the bottom from the hands of humans. It came from the top. God just tore the veil to say, you don't just get to come close to me. You get to come all the way into me. And I don't know how often through the busyness of our lives, through all the distractions, we realize how desperately we need to get behind the curtain. Like we were made, we were made to to get behind the curtain and to walk with God and to enjoy his presence. C.S. Lewis has an amazing quote on this in The Weight of Glory. He says, the inconsolable secret in every one of us the secret that hurts so much, the ache that we all feel is nothing more than our longing to be reunited with something in the universe we all now feel cut off, the longing to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside. That longing is no mere neurotic fantasy, but it's the truest index of the human condition, the sense that in this universe we are estranged, that that we have this need to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and that reality. This is our inconsolable secret of every soul that the door on which we have been knocking all of our lives will open at last. In other words, we need temple. We are on the outside looking to get back in. (laughs) Jesus comes to the world 
to say, I am the temple. It goes back to the with God and the not good that man is alone and the fact that that gets added the insult to injury as they get ex exiled from the Garden of Eden. It's because that is the place where they were designed to be with God. And the story of the Bible is that Emmanuel theology, it's that God is not with us. And how can that be fixed? And Amen. and the whole story of the temple is that God is wanting to be with us. And yeah. it's pointing to some sort of future reality that God will one day be amidst his people and in their presence. But yet there's still something that needed to get dealt with which was dealt with at the cross. And then the unleashing of that presence into God's people. Yeah, so let's talk about that, Dan. Some people say Jesus is the temple to end all temples. But Acts 2 would disagree with that. <laughs> it's like the baton now, Jesus hands to us. And... Like with that tur cur curtain being torn, it's, it's not that we can just go into God, but Pentecost now is God coming into us. Um, yeah, I guess the question Let's just be, talk about some application here. When he says, this means. tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it. He wants to build something. Yeah. And they didn't get it then, as we read, but they do get it later. And people like Stephen get it. This is why he was killed. Acts exactly. He, yep. I mean, he was killed because he said, God doesn't live there anymore. Yep. I had to break it to you. Yep. And he understood what was happening, which was a decentralization, um, which in their world, it must be just the craziest, most upside down movement to say, instead of having to come to a central place in order to get right with God or to get close yep. to God, God figured out a way to decentralize and put it out through all kinds of different people. Did you just hear what you said? Yeah. yeah. Because now let's just take that reality. <laughs> okay, maybe I just heard it for the first time. But let's take that reality of what God did. He took a building mm -hmm. where they gathered generation after generation. And 40 years after Jesus ascended. He literally took the building away and said, you are now the building. You are now the house. And, and, and look what's going on even right, right now with churches. Like, in some ways, we always want that building. We, we want to go back to a building. We want the church to be a building. Um, and yet that is not God's plan. God's plan is that first he became all that the temple foreshadowed. And then he said, now you are the temple in my world. In, uh, we, can, we had that whole verse last year of you are a kingdom of priests, a cho chosen people, a royal priesthood. But the verses right before that is this exact message. Uh, in First Peter 2, Verse 4, you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, is precious to him. You also are living stones being built mm -hmm. into a spiritual house to be a priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice, sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, 
That's temple. That's you temple. are being built into a place for this to, for the glory of God to be revealed um, to people. So the question kind of becomes then, like, will we receive that responsibility of priest uh, of being the temple, decentralized or mobile? You know, a mobile temple in our complicated situation, which I just think is just so genius of God to. We are all fluent in our situation that we're in. We all are the experts of, you know, our day-to-day -day life. And then to give us the responsibility to find how to be fluent, to bring in his glory into those situations, um, workplaces or, you know, family situations, I think is uh, so remarkable. Um, some of the challenging things that I think of would be just based on the stuff that we've been unfolding. What are some things that we do that hinder or get in the way of other people coming to God, like the courts of the Gentiles being so full of yeah. uh, rites and rituals and stuff that they felt like were so important that it was actually getting in the way? And I think for me, the most insecure, like when I'm most insecure about my relationship with God, about him being so connected with me and what this stuff is talking about mm -hmm. is when I start to overemphasize and force the stuff, you know, that sort of seem like I'm in and a, and a Christian and, and seem like I'm doing the right thing. And once I overemphasize that stuff because of the insecurity, I then am most likely to forget about my neighbor, about other people, about who's actually, you know, important here. And, and so I think it's a good thing to ask, um, do I have that security and that faith that I am connected with God, that he has done the, the work that needed to be done to be able to bring me in or to bring himself into me? And do I need to continue to just please him and prove myself to him? Or is that actually subtracting from the work that he actually did? And at a time like this, I think I do hear... In some ways, Dan, aren't you making a mockery of the lamb if you, yeah, we, us, because it's all of us, make this about us and all the things that we think we have to be instead knowing that we have a lamb right. who, is, who is everything for us. And he's the reason why God lives in us. Absolutely. It, de it detracts from the people who are even in the periphery but also it detracts from the central piece, uh, you know, of this whole thing. Yeah. Having the Messiah complex yourself exactly. yeah. is making it about you. Mm -hmm. And it's a very tempting thing. In a time like right now where there's all kinds of fear and things that need to be done, I love the encouragement to contribute to this movement mm -hmm. and be a part of it. Every individual person has that responsibility. But... There is a difference between contributing and put, taking on the guilt of having to fix this yourself. It's tempting. I hear it in like cynical comments towards uh, churches or parishioners or people that are like, "Where? What are you doing right now?" And mm -hmm. you're not doing enough. Or I don't. And I don't think. I think that's coming from the devil. I think it's coming from like it's all kinds of fiery arrows are getting lobbed into our hearts, saying. You are not uh, moving into this enough. And, and I want to kind of speak to that guilt and say, you, we don't have to carry 
our sacrifice, like we're bringing in a guilt thing here and we need to, we need to prove that we're legitimate Christians or not. We're contributing to something that we have total faith and trust in. Like when you have faith in the work of Christ, it's contagious it's something that it, I didn't mean to use the word contagious. Right? Okay, whatever. It's, Great word. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's very apparent in your life yeah. when you feel like I am Christ-centered. People will see, will see that. And yeah. from that place, then you're able to want for other people to have the same thing yeah. that you have, the same assurance, the same uh, solid identity, if you will. Um, but it's not that you have to say, if, if they don't receive this or accept me or believe me, that invalidates my place in this family as a brick in this temple. Structure that's a huge thought right now, Dan. That is, that's, that's a huge application. Um, that's why one of the things that I've been so grateful to see in all the Christians that I've interacted with this week, and most of them have been from Crossroads, um, but not all, is just this restful quality um, as we go about what God's asked us to do, asked us to be, that we're restful. We're not taking ourselves that seriously. We trust a huge God who can do the impossible through just the most ordinary, less than ordinary people. Um, We are not judgmental. We're not comparing ourselves. We're not competitive. Um, all those things, I, I think that's how the enemy wants to just tweak and twist this a little bit. It reminds you of when the temple system was getting laid down. Yeah. Because, and I feel like it had to. Yeah. They were just so focused on it that they were not able to turn and leave Jerusalem and go to the ends of the earth, you know. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, you know, it did have to come through war. And I'm not going to say it, but it's a good caution to ask ourselves, like, even if right now this whole decentralization thing is bringing up in people's hearts, like, challenges about how much we um, are focused on the church service or how much we're focused on our regular rhythms. Uh, and if we, we've gotten so narrow-sighted in that, and this is a moment in time, much like the movement in the first century where they had to move away from Jerusalem, where... We're now being kind of reoriented. And when we're destabilized, that's, that's good. That's what happens. And I just want to put out there, the reorientation is to be reoriented around Christ, uh, the glory of God, the image of God, the person who has provided for us, not just a, a way out of being scared. The Passover was a scary story. Yeah. And the promise was never, I'm not gonna, you're never going to be scared. You're yeah. never going to be yeah. in a place of hardship. It's, yeah. I am going to cover you if you will just accept the sacrifice. Okay, so now what about this? Um, could Jesus, we be in his temple? Is he cleaning his house? Because I had those thoughts this week a little bit. Um, you know, the, the, the text that you had the week before, Jesus going to a wedding and, uh, filling their tables with, with the best wine. And now he's taking these tables and he's throwing them all over the place. And it's like, is this the same Jesus? Right. And of course it is. And I think that there are going to obviously be seasons in our life when, when Jesus just comes in and he fills our tables with 
all the wine that he has to offer. Uh, There's also going to be times when Jesus is going to come into our lives, where he's going to come into the church, and he's going to clean his house. Uh, He has zeal for his house. He has passion for his house, and and we are his house. And um, that, to me, though, doesn't discourage me because I can look back on my life and see that the things... The, the seasons of my life where Jesus just wrecked me, because that's the only way I can put it. There have been times where I just feel like he wrecked me. Um, that's only the first step to healing me, to growing me. Um, and so wow. I don't want to be overly dramatic, though, in, in, in what's going on right now. But at the same time, I do think that Jesus loves his church. He died for his church. He wants his church to be all it can be. And he could be doing a little house cleaning right now. But let it be notable, when he says to them, you tear down, I'm building it up. And that could be just a tenor, like just a change in our tone of like, there are things that get torn down and there are times where he does allow for chaos to sort of yeah. happen here for a moment but it's because he wants to build yeah and i think we should follow him into that you know if we're finding ourselves in a yeah. place of deorientation yeah. to ask him what are you trying to build up in my yeah. life how am i contributing to building you up in this city and in this time of you know yeah. tumult in a tumultuous <laughs> time what are you building up and how can we build i see so many He's building us up right now. Teardowns yeah. nowadays yeah. that it's just destroying. People just want to destroy each other. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, I, someone just sent me a text of a uh, video of this huge apartment complex in Brazil. And the windows are open. You can't see anybody. But there is a whole choir of people worshiping God in Christ. And again, like, those kind of stories are happening all over. He's using this to wake us up. And when I, when I envision, like, all those Jews from all over the world streaming to the temple just so they could get close to the presence of God, are people streaming to us? Or Jacob, when he says, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? When people encounter us, the house of God, is, 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 is that the response? Um, I, I have to say, I, I, I did a funeral on Friday, literally after our gathering on Sunday. I walked out into our lobby and was greeted with the news that Amaya Dietz, I just a, a young teenager, 18 years old, um, was killed. We did our funeral on Friday, and it was in a part of town on the fourth floor of an abandoned warehouse. So just to get up there was just almost like I was in this war-torn building. And I'm going up there with 
her friends who we were all trying to find which room it was in. We finally found it. Um, walked into the room. And I can just say, <laughs> the presence of the Lord is in that place. That, that, that place was temple. It was ha Macomb. Um, it was the holy of holies. Um, I saw women in our church providing food. Um, Jake and Kate Dietz, uh, the parents of Amaya, just beautiful in their faith. Half the room was probably people that didn't know God. And to see in the most least likely place, God just turning that space into Hamakom, into temple, into his house. And I think that this is what God is going to continue to do. You had a similar experience doing a wedding. Um, you know, all, all these things go, are going on, you know, in different ways. Um, Instead of streaming towards God, I think God is streaming out towards people and all of us kind of... I love it. Getting out there. and Maybe that's a thought we end on. Crossroads. Who are you? <laughs> what are you doing here? We are the house of God. And we are called to be his presence in this world. Let's end with communion. I'm actually glad you're with me for several reasons today, Dan. <laughs> um, but the idea of doing communion outside of a Sunday morning, I have to give you the credit for that idea. Um, I remember you t saying, like, why are we not taking communion the way the early Christians did it in a setting where we're feasting and having fun with family and friends that we would learn how to just pause that kind of event where someone, and this is how the early church did it, in Acts 2, when it says they broke bread together, that doesn't mean that they just ate great food together. It also means that they, in that setting of feasting and enjoying each other, that at some point in time, someone would get up and break the bread and say, his body, the body of Christ, is broken for us. And I don't know where you are if you're still watching. <laughs> we might have lost a lot of people, Dan. I don't know. <laughs> um, but if you're still watching, like, I want to do this together. Uh, get, get, get the bread. Pass it out to whoever's there. Anyone who's here right now um, can come up if you want. Um, if you want to respect social distancing, you can as well. Um, but if you want to come up, you can get a piece of bread. It's good. Dan? I didn't touch this part, the inside of it. <laughs> His body was broken for you. 
Lauren, thank you for everything you're doing with our website. His body was broken for you. Brother, his body was broken for you. Let's eat. And he raised this cup and he said, This is the cup of the new marriage. This cup represents his blood, his blood that was shed for us. This is the wine that Jesus came to offer. Drink. Drink.